The reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 31. Unity and diversity in the body. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do I belong? And what can I offer? Do I belong? And what can I offer? These are two questions that many of us will ask, have asked, will ask in the future, are asking about our involvement in church. It might be church here, it might be church elsewhere. Do I belong? Am I truly part of this community? Have I been here long enough? Do I know people? Do I want to know them? Do I want to commit to this strange group of people? Will they accept me? And what can I offer? As I look around, everyone is so talented. I've got no time. I've got no skills. 
I'm not knowledgeable enough. All sorts of things go round in our minds as we consider what it means to belong to a church community. And believe it or not, these are exactly the questions that Paul is answering when he writes this wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians. He's writing to the new church, the young Christians in Corinth, and he's answering a question. And unfortunately, in the Bible, we haven't got the original letters that that say what he's replying to. But we can assume from the whole letter the sorts of questions that Paul is addressing. And this is one of them. What does it mean to belong in the family of God? What does it mean to belong to this new group of believers called church? What does that truly mean? Because what was happening in Paul's time was countercultural. It was different to anything that they were seeing around us. In culture, life looked very different. In the big cities, many nationalities lived. Corinth was a large city, a trading post. And we kind of think that folk didn't do much traveling, but people traveled a lot in these days. And so Corinth was full of people from different countries, different languages being spoken. But everyone kept themselves to themselves, especially the Jewish people. And Christians were originally Jewish people. Many of them had been Jewish, then came to know Jesus and became Christians. From a Jewish background and culture, this idea of mixing with people from different nations was really hard. Because all through the Old Testament, God had been really clear to the Jewish people. You need to keep by yourselves. You mustn't mix with other nations. Your whole identity depends on being separate and a distinct and unique nation. So when they were living in a city with other nations, they kept themselves to themselves. Society also had different rules. Society was very hierarchical, and you knew your place. There were those at the top, and there were those at the bottom, and you didn't mix. The only equivalent I can think of is Downton Abbey and the, the, you know, the traumas that they had when the chauffeur wanted to marry the daughter of the master of the house and how, um, from a society point of view, that was so difficult to understand. This is what is going on in Corinth. Culture is saying one thing. A Jewish tradition is saying one thing. Society is saying something. It's saying be separate. Keep to your groups know your place, and hold it there. But this new Christian faith is coming pouring into people's lives and is saying something completely different. Paul says in verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. We've baptized Iris, it's not there, Iris, into one spirit, into one, by one spirit, into one body. Baptism is the sign of belonging to the Christian family. And you belong in the Christian family when you are baptized. Whether you are Jews or Gentiles, Jews or Greeks, whether you are slave or free. And that was so different to anything that these people knew. We forget because we've read the Bible and we know it and it's set in our culture and churches exist because of 2,000 years 
of following what the Bible has instructed us in. But in its day, it was completely radical. The Christian people were living in a way that nobody else lived like in that day and age. So it's not surprising that as they tried to do that, they struggled and they found it difficult and they had arguments amongst themselves. Could you really belong if you hadn't come from a Jewish background? And so there was a huge argument at one point about circumcision. Because truly, if you were a Christian, you had to come from that Jewish background and that was the sign that you had done. And yet there were people who were coming from a non-Jewish background, a Gentile background, coming in and becoming Christians. And some of those from a Jewish background were treating them as second-rate Christians. Different groups of society were mixing together, slave and free. Can you imagine the tensions within a small group of people meeting in each other's houses, praising God across a whole societal range of people? And then the biggest problem for the people in Corinth was the use of gifts. At Pentecost, the Spirit came in a new and an exciting way. The Spirit has always existed. He is part of the Trinity. But at Pentecost, God delivered the Spirit in a new and a fresh way. And those early Christians began to be able to demonstrate different ways of living through spiritual gifts. God gave them some supernatural gifts, as well as continuing to bestow people with with individual skills and talents and gifts that they are born with. And those who had the more supernatural gifts, which might have been speaking in tongues or having um, the ability to prophesy or to heal, they began to think they were more important than everybody else. So they were getting better seats in church, as it were. They were getting first place at at the table when they came to eat together. They were the really important ones in church. And there was lots of division. And Paul is writing saying, remember what I've taught you. Remember that this is not the way that you're meant to live. You are all equal in God. And more than that, you all need each other. And so he gives us this picture of the body. And again, that was a a terminology that was commonplace. Lots of thinkers described society in terms of the body. So Paul is using what they know and saying, let me explain what you already know and put a Christian slant on it. You are the body of Christ. God has made you in this way. And what it means is that you are all different. And you need to be different. Praise God. We don't come to church and we're all the same. We're all different because we all rely on each other. And we should rejoice in that difference in that um, differentiation. We should rejoice that we aren't all the same. And yet sometimes it's really hard because it's actually easier to get on with people when they're more like us than to get on with people who are very, very different from us. And so this message is there for us today as much as it was for the people in Corinth. What we should have is a community where we rejoice in our differences but recognize our need for one another. We need our eyes, we need our ears, we need our feet. One part of the body can't say, I'm superfluous. Everything needs to function well, and we know when we're ill what that is like when one part of our body is not functioning well. 
Imagine that and translate that onto how we live together in church. Different, but interdependent, and rejoice in that. So what is Paul saying? God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And then further on at verse 27, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And he goes on to describe some of the ways in which God has gifted different people so that they can all be used for the glory of God. Not surprisingly, this is 1 Corinthians 12, Paul goes straight on to one of the passages that you probably know better than any passage in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 13. I can't remember if we had it at your wedding or not, but it's a common one at weddings. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. And so on and so on. Following on from the description of how the body should function is the most beautiful passage about what love truly is. Because this only works if we love one another. We can only live in that Christian community when we recognize that we are formed from love, from the love that God has for us, that that love comes to us through the death of Jesus, and that we are empowered by the Spirit to know that love as a reality in our own lives. And then we live as loved people. And the sign of true community, as we would hear Jesus say in many of the Gospels, is that that love is shared amongst its members. So church should be a place where we all belong, where we're all valued, where we're all accepted, and where we all realize that we have our part to play. And that that part is vital. We may think it's insignificant. But look at what this is saying. Every part of the body is needed. And so we all have our part to play in serving the community. In order for the community to function. And in order for the community to actually be able to do the work that God has called us to do. Sounds really easy, doesn't it? Sounds really simple. For 2,000 years, people have read this passage. You'd think we'd have learned by now. But actually, it's really hard. It is really hard for some of the reasons that I've already mentioned. All are loved and accepted. Why is this hard? We don't know some people very well. We form ideas of people before we've actually begun to talk to them. I'm speaking about myself. I make assumptions about people. I feel in awe of others and feel I can't possibly get to know them. I feel I'm a bit better than some others. And quite often I don't suffer fools gladly. And so I bring all of that into my relationships in church. There's comparisons, wrong expectations. And I wonder how on earth can I bring something to offer? It's really hard when we're not all 
best buddies. We're not all the same. But yet Paul is saying, rejoice in diversity and understand that interdependence because we need each other if we're going to function. We need each other to be who we are. And as we live as we are, then we serve. And that's a hard word because I know how busy people are and I know what demands there are on people's lives. But part of belonging is playing our part. In a good family, everyone plays their part. It might be a large part, it might be a small part. But there is a sense in which if we're going to function well as a family, we need to understand that part of that is giving as well as receiving. So there's some really important lessons from Paul. We're going to follow that on next week and begin practically to explore what could that actually look like in the life of our church. What are the the things that need to be done and where can I play my part? But I want to start by the picture of the body and that picture of knowing each other, accepting each other, valuing one another. And in that environment, we bring what we have to give to each other and to God. It's challenging, but it's also incredibly rewarding. And we learn more and more about ourselves as we do that. Sometimes the bits that are hard to accept about ourselves, the sharp edges, the rough edges are rubbed off when we are truly open and honest and live in that sense of relationship with each other. I'm um, always very struck by the writing of Henri Newell. And I was reminded of him, I was um, at, at the HTB Leadership Conference last week and Jean Vanier was interviewed and Jean Vanier set up the L'Arche community. L'Arche community now exists worldwide and are very, very special places. They are homes where able-bodied and disabled live together. And they live in that sense of everyone being loved and accepted and valued and everyone having a part to play. Now that sounds really bizarre because you'd think it's carers and those being cared for. And yet what the L'Arche community has done has switched that round where yes, some people have a different role and actually help helping others to, to live the day-to-day -day lives. But they also know that they receive and learn from those who are less able than themselves. And Henri Nouwen was a Roman Catholic priest. He, he died a few years ago. And he reached a point of crisis in his life and thought, I can't carry on in this ministry. And to cut a long story short, he ended up joining a large community and ministering from there and speaking around the world. And quickly he realized that if he was actually going out with a message, he shouldn't go alone. He should always try to take somebody because if his whole message was we need one another, you can't just turn up on the platform and get all the applause as the great speaker. So he started taking people with him. Then he started taking some of those who were disabled with him. And he was um, invited to go to Washington. And on this occasion, he and the rest of the community decided that Bill should take him. And Bill was incredibly excited. Not quite sure what his needs were, but um, he had great needs and limited ability to function cognitively. But Bill was really excited and he kept saying, we're going to do it together. Henri, we're going to do it together. And Henri didn't know what that meant. I still did not know what doing it together with Bill would mean. So he opened up his first talk by saying that he hadn't come alone, but was very happy that Bill had come with me. 
Then I took my handwritten text, he said, and began my address. At that moment, I saw that Bill had left his seat, walked up to the podium, and planted himself right behind me. It was clear he had a much more concrete idea about the meaning of doing it together than I. Each time I finished reading a page, he took it away and put it upside down on a small table close by. I felt very much at ease with this and started to feel Bill's presence as a support. But Bill had more in mind. When I began to speak about the temptation to turn stones into bread as a temptation to be relevant, he interrupted me and said loudly for everyone to hear, I've heard that before. He had indeed, and he just wanted the priests and ministers who were listening to know that that he knew me quite well, and he was familiar with my ideas. For me, however, it felt like a gentle, loving reminder that my thoughts were not as new as I wanted my audience to believe. Bill's intervention created a new atmosphere in the ballroom, lighter, easier, and more playful. Somehow, Bill had taken away the seriousness of the occasion and had brought it to some homespun normality. As I continued my presentation, I felt more and more that we were indeed doing it together, and it felt good. When I came to the second part and was reading the words, the question most asked by the handicapped people with whom I live was, are you home tonight? Bill interrupted me again and said, that's right, that's what John Smeltzer always asks. Again, there was something disarming about his remark. Bill knew John Smeltzer very well, and he simply wanted people to know about his friend. It was as if he drew the audience towards us, inviting them into the intimacy of our common life. After I'd finished reading my text and people had shown their appreciation, Bill said to me, Henri, can I say something now? My first reaction was, oh, how am I going to handle this? He might start rambling, and create an embarrassing situation. But then I caught myself in my presumption that he had nothing of importance to say and said to the audience, will you please sit down? Bill would like to say a few words. Bill took the microphone and said, with all the difficulties he has in speaking, last time when Henri went to Boston, he took John Smeltzer with him. This time he wanted me to come with him to Washington and I am very glad to be here with you. Thank you very much. Sat down and everyone applauded. For the next day, Bill went round talking to everybody, greeting them, forming friendships. And as they were about to leave, Henri looked and realized that Bill had formed some very strong relationships as he said goodbye to all these delegates. As we flew back together to Toronto, Bill looked up from the word puzzle book that he takes with him wherever he goes and said, Henri, did you like our trip? Oh yes, I answered, it was a wonderful trip. And I'm so glad you came with me. Bill looked at me attentively and and then said, and we did it together, didn't we? Then I realized the full truth of Jesus' words, where two or three meet in my name, I am among them. In the past, I had always given lectures, sermons, addresses, and speeches by myself. Often I'd wondered how much of what I'd said would be remembered. Now it dawned on me that most likely much of what I said would not be long remembered but that Bill and I doing it together would not easily be forgotten. I hoped and prayed that Jesus, who had sent us out together and had been with us all during the journey, would have become really present to those who had gathered. As we landed, I said to Bill, Bill, thanks so much for coming with me. It was a wonderful trip, and what we did, we did together, in Jesus' name, and I really meant it.
Being the body of Christ means doing it together. Doing it together however we're feeling. Doing it together because we know that God has placed us together. He loves us and values us equally. And he calls us to love and value and accept those with whom he has placed us. It is hard and a challenge, but it's such a joy as well. And when we function like that, we become truly the body of Christ, able then to do everything that God is calling us to do. I want to give us a little bit of time just to think. And we're going to watch um, a, a clip, and it's a song. It's a song called Waiting Here for You. Because I would imagine that you've got a variety of things going through your mind. You might be thinking, I don't know where I belong, be it church or anywhere. And actually, belonging is such a huge human need. And you might just want to bring that to God. Do I truly belong? It might be that you are part of this fellowship and you think, where is my place in it? How can I develop that? How can I get to know people better? This is a time to bring that before God. You might think, actually, there's more I could give. And you want to ponder, what, is, what are you asking of me? Who am I? Who have you equipped me to be? And where do you want me to use that? It's not just in church. As the first video showed, we take what we are here out into the world. Do I truly feel equipped by God for whatever he calls me to do? You might want to bring that to God. Whatever. You might just want to listen to the lovely music. This is some space for you.